Let's pray together. Father, as always, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather as the people of God, whether we are in person, watching online. God, we gather together for the main purpose of glorifying you because you've commanded us to do that. And as we talked about last week, God, when we obey you, we are abiding in you. But we also gather together, God, because we need help. We need to hear your word preach to us, your spirit open our eyes and ears to see and to hear and to know the truth that's in it, to be reminded by the people of God, how loved we are, how privileged we are, God, to be able to know Jesus, to walk in faith with Jesus. And so God, we pray expressly for those two things to happen today, that you would be glorified, God, and we would be helped. And as always, God, help me to communicate it in a way that does those two things. God, as we open your word, now we ask you to speak to us. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you got a Bible, we're in John 15. And if you weren't here um, last week, or really the last two weeks, I'll kind of recap quickly for you. We've been in John chapter 15 talking about the, the results or what Jesus calls the fruit of walk, walking with him, of abiding in him. And particularly if you weren't here last week, then you really missed um, some amazing dance moves. I just got to say, um, and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, we are a church that thinks it's all right to dance. Um, but we actually put it up on uh, social media on my birthday, me celebrating some of my own, my birthday by celebrating my own dance moves. And it was funny, our team asked me if I cared if we put that online. And I said, well, I just did it in front of thousands of people and it was streamed all over the world. I don't think I care, uh, right? Uh, go ahead and put it out there. But the whole point of the dance moves was talking about being in rhythm with Jesus, that Jesus has a rhythm, and the reason why he commands us to obey him and that obeying him is abiding in him because that gets us in step with him. That gets us in rhythm with him. And when we are in rhythm with him, when we are abiding in him, then we will bear fruit. And we're expected to bear fruit. That is the expectation. I told our staff that this week we have a monthly all-staff meeting. I said, listen, I want you to understand, I expect you to be joyful. I expect you to be loving. I expect you to exercise self-control, but that is all a fruit of the spirit. And you can't have that stuff if you're not abiding with Jesus, if you're not hanging with Jesus. And we can't abide with Jesus if we're not obeying Jesus. So I try to connect that for you for the last two weeks. And if you weren't here, you can watch those messages. Actually, even on the podcast this week, we kind of followed up with that, talked about that, even some spiritual disciplines that particularly help you abide in Jesus. So you might want to go check that out. But today what we're going to look at is another result that happens from being with Jesus. Another result that happens. That's what I mean by the word fruit. That just means results, things that happen. When you hang with Jesus, when you abide with Jesus, you're going to have the results of the fruit of the spirit that is going to happen. 
But Jesus is gonna hit on another result today that's going to happen, but it's not necessarily fruit or results that we like. So I just wanna preface that on the front end, but it's important and we need to understand it. So let's go John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, and then we'll chat about it. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So let's chat about this. A result of following Jesus is getting similar treatment that Jesus got. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus very clearly says, listen, and we'll get into this more when we get into chapter 16. He even gets more descriptive when we get there, but but we'll just deal with what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, you need to understand something. They're going to hate you. If they hated me, they're gonna hate you. And this is so important for us to understand because honestly, I think as American Christians, and I'll get to more on this in just in a second, we're not prepared for this hatred. We're not prepared for this result. We're not prepared for this fruit in our life. But Jesus needs us to understand something. If we're gonna walk with Jesus, yes, we will have an internal fruit, an internal character that's being developed to be like him, but also one of the invariable results of being like him is getting treated like him. Because he was hated, will be hated. Now this word hated is exactly what you think it means. This word hated means to dislike strongly, to have resentment, um, retaliation, revenge, I mean, any type of word that you can think of, hostility, to be hostile to someone, right? I mean, we're here in the South and football season is back, thank God. And when you think of someone that you hate, right, a lot of times it's that other team that you just can't stand. You know, for the Falcons, it's the Saints. And we were so close, right? For the Cowboys, it's everybody else. Because we are the most valuable franchise on planet Earth. And you would think with that kind of quan, we could do something with it, but apparently not. But, but the idea of hatred, right, is you have an enemy. We talked about the arch enemy that we discussed several weeks ago. You know, Satan is our enemy. And, and, and this idea of hatred or of resentment, of, of hostility, I don't think I have to help you very much conjure up those feelings, right? Like, oh yeah, bro, I got family members. Yeah. But here's the key concept when it comes to hatred. Jesus gives us two prepositions here. You know, I love prepositions. Last week, I made a big deal about the word if. This week, I'm gonna make a big deal about the word of because Jesus does. First, he says, the reason why the world hates you 
is you're not of the world. Now, this word of is a preposition of source. And what that means is if you're of someone, you're from them. You, you, you get who you are from them. It's like my dad used to tell me when I would get in trouble. He's like, boy, I brought you into this world. I could take you out. And I believed him because he was big. And I'm, I, I love to talk about my dad all the time. We're, we're great friends now. But back in the day, oh, he was scary. I was, or not was, I am of him, which is why I got thighs like him, hands like him, right? I'm of him. He is my source. And so this idea of ofness is we are from the same stuff, the same place. We're on the same side. But then Jesus says, you're not of the world. Why? Because I chose you out of the world. That one is not a preposition of source. It is a preposition of separation, a preposition of separation. And you know that word. It means to be apart from, separated, right? Like the song says, gotta keep them separated. The idea of separation is we're not on the same side. You know, I grew up in daycare. I, I went when I was six weeks old, and um, I had to learn how to, you know, survive on the mean streets. And um, I went to a place, we called it kinder care. Apparently, you're supposed to call it kinder care, but no one told us it was very kind. So we called it kinder care. And, and we used to play this game when we were at kinder care all the time called Red Rover, Red Rover. You ever played that game? It's where you all join hands with each other and you got two teams, right? And you're holding hands. And the idea of this is you have to run over and try to bust through the hand grip of another team. And if you do, you get someone from their side to come to your side. If you don't, then you have to go to their side. Well, everybody loved me on their team playing that game because I have what doctors call a weight problem. <laughs> I'm big, I ain't small. And so particularly at kinder care, when we played Red Rover, I was always the one that was busting through, and you know just how to play the game. You go to the weakest link, and there invariably be two little kids. I'm like, oh, this is a bad day for y'all. <laughs> and I would bust through, and then we would get them on our team. But what's so crazy is I separated them, not only their hands, but then I separated them from their team so they're no longer of that team, but they're on our team. So it was like an, an instant allegiance switch. And when you separated them from their team and now they're on our team, then instantly they went from being loved to hated. That's this idea of separation. Jesus is saying, listen, the reason why the world hates you is you used to be of them. But I came Red Rover, Red Rover and busted through and I took you from their team out of it, and now you're on my team. And so they hate you because I separated you from them. And so this idea of separation, this idea of separation, we'll get more into this, is the concept of I used to be like them, I used to be with them, now, now I'm not like them. You know, and this is what I was referring to earlier in America, the idea of 
separation is important to our founding. We have separation of powers, right? Conceptually, the concept is no one person has that much power. Because as they say, absolute power absolutely corrupts. And so we built a system on separation. But what's very intriguing about America is when America was founded, there wasn't a huge separation per se between church and state. And what I mean by that is this. Most of the founding fathers of our country were Christian, were believers. And so when they founded our country, although it wasn't necessarily a Christian nation, like a theocracy, like the nation of Israel, but it was a nation definitely founded on Christian morality. In fact, I was listening to a podcast just a few weeks ago. Pastor Dave and I were talking about this. It was very fascinating to me. It was a Jewish rabbi that was discussing the role of the Old Testament in the founding of our country. And he said, in this one 10-year period, when our country was being founded in the 1700s, the most quoted book, the most quoted book in our history during that 10 years was the book of Deuteronomy. Because the book of Deuteronomy is the one that you're going to read if you're building a nation. Because it's the one that God gave the nation of Israel to build their nation. It's where all the laws are. Second was the writing of John Locke, who was a 17th century philosopher. But the book of Deuteronomy was quoted twice as much as any of his stuff. So our country was definitely founded upon Christian morals, Christian principles, the foundation of law. The foundation of we are endowed by our creator with certain rights. All that comes out of the Bible. But there was this principle that was put in place about separation that you've probably heard, even though it wasn't quite separated in a faith standpoint, but it's called the separation of church and what? You know? State. Yes, you paid attention in school. Great. But here's what's intriguing. Our founding fathers put in this separation not, and this is where I want to help you. I've said this before because there's a lot of confusion online, particularly Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and you know, all these places where people spat out their opinions that no one really needs to hear. Anytime a law comes up, invariably you will hear something like this. Keep your church out of my state. Keep your religion out of my body. Keep your religion out of my laws. But it's interesting, the concept of that was never to keep the church out of the state. It was always to keep the state out of the church. Right? It's in our First Amendment. Congress shall pass no laws regarding religion. It's number one. It's foundational. Because the group of people that founded our country were a part of a country where religion and state were together. And they didn't want that. They didn't want the persecution that can come with that. Why am I stressing all this? Because Jesus is talking about being hated by the world. And he's talking about a separation. And here's what's intriguing about America. Hundreds of years ago, and particularly not even quite as long as 50 years ago, it didn't feel like Christians in America were that separated. And what I mean by that, 
We weren't that separated from people who wouldn't call themselves Christians because we kind of had a common morality. But the problem became when it almost became synonymous to be American is to be Christian. And therein lies the problem. And now here we are in 2022, and it is painfully obvious, painfully obvious that the world is separated from the church. But here's what I want to say to you. You shouldn't be surprised by that. Jesus said that was going to happen. But we just had a pretty good run in American history where the separation wasn't so so prevalent because, again, our country was founded upon the same moral system that we as believers look to today to inform us. But now we live in this society where they're like, keep it all separated. Got to keep them separated. And Jesus is saying, you better be prepared for that. And I don't think there's a lot of Christians today that are American have been prepared for that for quite some time. Because we're not, listen, of the world. The world isn't our source. The word is our source. And that's what Jesus says here. It's interesting. He says, listen, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep your word. Here's what Jesus is saying. There's primarily two types of people. There's only two groups of people, world people and word people. That's it. There's world people and there's word people. Word people, sorry, world people hate. Word people love. He says, listen, the word is separated out from the world. There's a separation that has come. And the interesting thing is, is all these word people used to be world people. But then Jesus busted through that wall and took them out and he separated them. And now all these people that used to be with these people hate these people because they're not with them anymore. You see, word people come out from being world people. And the world hates you. It's like, again, you and your team, you're on the same side. And then someone from your team defects to the other side. And now they're against you. Naturally, you're going to hate them. They used to wear burnt orange, and now they wear god-awful crimson, <laughs> right? That's what he's saying here. But there's something that I want to draw out of this that is so important for us to understand. In fact, if you're taking notes, here's my first point. We are going to be hated, but we are not going to be hateful. We are going to be hated, but we are not going to be hateful. And this is the point I think ultimately Jesus is trying to drive home because in verse 17, he just said, we will love. And it's in that context, he says, but you need to listen to something. I am calling you to love because that is the fruit of being with me, but they're going to hate you. They are going to strongly dislike you, be hostile to you. You're going to be hated. But that is never an excuse to be hateful. Now, let me give you some supporting text here to where I think this is what Jesus is getting at. 
First John 18, 36, we'll get into this probably, uh, it'll actually be next year by the time we get to there. But this is Jesus after he's been captured and he's speaking to Pilate and listen to what he says. Verse 36, I have it here on the screen. Jesus answered to Pilate, my kingdom is not, what's that word there? Oh, that was pretty good. Let's do it again, especially, come on Jasper online. My kingdom is not what? Of this world. If my kingdom were, what? Of this world, my servants would have been Kung Fu fighting. Right? Come on, somebody. I like to dance and I like to sing. Jesus is like, if my servants were of this world, them cats would have been fast as lightning. Right? They got nunchuck skills. Jesus says, my servants aren't of this world. Do you really think? If my servants, we wouldn't be fighting? Look at this. That I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. I don't ever want you to forget these things, which is why I don't mind making a fool of myself. But I want you to hear me. Jesus is saying to his followers, listen, they are going to hate you. They're going to hate you, but you're going to love them. So listen to me. Being hated is never an excuse for being hateful because word people do not adopt the tactics of world people. People of the word don't act like people of the world. Jesus is like, Pilate, you don't think that if my kingdom were like your kingdom, that my crew wouldn't be fighting? I, I mean, this is where you, do, again, you just know Jesus is a boss. He's like, don't you, and when he tells Peter, don't you think I could call, call down legions of angels, which are th- tens of thousands, and wipe these fools out? Don't you think I could do that? But I'm not here to do that. That's not how we're going to bust through this wall. Because we're not world people. We're word people. Let me give you another supporting text from John, the guy who wrote the gospel of John. He wrote this in 1 John. And I just want you to listen to what he's... John wrote down in the gospel what Jesus said. But in his books, 1, 2, 3 John... He wrote down to a group of people what he learned from what Jesus said. Listen to what he says here. 1 John 3, 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Surprise! He goes, don't be surprised. This is what amazes me by Christians. You're surprised? You're surprised that they hate our sexual ethic? You're surprised that they hate our morality? You're surprised? Well, yeah, because America, right? Yeah, yeah, America used to be pretty, you know, influenced by Christian, but it's not now. Look at this, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. This is what's interesting. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Ephesians 2, we were dead 
and our trespasses and sins, right? Best two words in the Bible, but God made us alive together with Christ and we got two conjunctions out of the deal, right? But, and, and raised us to the heavenly places with him. And here's what John is saying. Listen, if you've been raised up to walk in new life and yet you hate your brother, you're acting like a dead person. You're abiding, what's that word? Abiding, it means to remain. You're remaining in death. You're acting like your old, dead self. See, the reason why the world hates is because they're dead inside. They're dead, spiritually speaking. These things, listen, don't be surprised when they hate you, but we don't hate them. And we for sure don't hate our brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, because if we do, we're still hanging out in death. He takes it a step further. Look at this, verse 15. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. I used to have the hardest time with ours when I was a kid because I couldn't hear. I had to go to speech therapy. Is a murderer. A murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And it's at this point in time, you're like, John, you hyperbole much? Murderer? And I look up the word. It's anthropoctanos. Anthropos just means man. And the other word is to kill. So the word literally means man killer. It's not hyperbole. And here's what John just said. If you hate your brother, God considers you a murderer. So you don't have to actually kill a man for God to classify you as a murderer. And you're like, John, bro, chill. But John would say, well, I just heard it from Jesus. Because in Matthew chapter five, in the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking. And he's talking to Jewish people and he tells them that what goes into their mouth is not what defiles them because they were so hyper-focused on the food laws of the Old Testament. Which thank God in Christ now, we can eat bacon and we can eat shrimp. Praise the lamb. And those taste good too. And, and what's funny is some of his disciples come to Jesus later and they're like, uh, Jesus, um, man, you really upset the Jews about that whole bacon crack, you know. Not as in it's crack, like the thing you said about bacon. And Jesus says this. You've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. Because, you know, he wrote it. He says, but I say to you, if you have anger in your heart, you're guilty of it. And then he says this, it's not what goes into a, a mouth that defiles them, it's what comes out of it. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. John just said, if we hate our brother, we're mouth murderers. We can murder people with our mouths. 
And that's how God considers it. We are that guilty. What if we put that in the terms and agreements of social media companies? What's amazing is how many Christians get up on them platforms and act like they ain't never read this. Or they're not even worried about what it said. Like it means nothing. Well, they hated me first. Well, you know what? You remind me so much of Jesus right now. Because that's exactly what he said. They hated me first. Right? And here's what's interesting. See, because of the lack of separation for so long in this country, between church and state, and I don't see a lack of separation as a bad thing. And this is why it bugs me when people say, keep your church out of the state. Well, what they don't understand is they have a religion too. It's just called secularism. No one can keep their belief system out of it. We should all take our belief system into the public square, all of us. I just happen to believe the best belief system should win out, which is Christianity. It's the one that makes the most rational sense too. But because there was no separation for a long period of time, we just made the natural assumption, oh, if you're Christian, if you're American, you're Christian. And so what happens, I think, is there's a lot of people that have taken on the title without any of the characteristics. Because they don't know Jesus. Look at this. Let's go back to John 15. John 15, verse 21. Jesus said this, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not, what's that next word there? No. They don't know him who sent me. See, there's two primarily different words in Greek for no. One is gnosko. It means to like know something theoretically, like you know it. And then the other one is to know it experientially. It's relational knowledge. And this word here is the relational knowledge one. See, in English, which is a very hard language to learn, we use one word for multiple meanings. So you say, oh, I know Michael Jordan. What? You know Michael Jordan? Well, yeah, I know he's the greatest. I know he played for the Bulls. I know he won three championships, retired, came back, won three more. I know his jump man. I know Michael Jordan. And I was the type of kid when I was growing up, I used to imitate him. I'd stick my tongue out all the time, not just playing basketball, doing anything. I don't know, it just helped me concentrate. And my mama used to always tell me, boy, put that tongue back in, you're gonna bite it off. If I could preach right now with my tongue out, I would. This kind of gets in the way. But I don't know Michael Jordan. I've never experienced Michael Jordan. I've never had an experience relationally with Michael Jordan when I could say, oh yeah, I know him. And here's what I think Jesus is getting at. The reason that people hate is they don't relationally and experientially know God. They've never had an experience with God. They've never had an experience with God where they went from death to life and now they're alive, they're made alive and they're walking with him in the power of the spirit, keeping in step with him and he's growing fruit on them of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. They have all that and so therefore they are 
loving people. See, how we act when we're hated is a response of who we know. What's very interesting to me, if you read the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is a very interesting book because it's literally the acts of the apostles or the acts of the church. It's, it's them living this out. And the book of Acts, what's fascinating is in Acts 1, Jesus tells them, we talked about this a few weeks ago, you're gonna receive power, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts 2, the spirit comes, but we focus just on one Pentecost in the book of Acts, but I happen to think there's four, not just one. And what I mean by that is four Pentecostal events. And what I, what I think and what a lot of scholars think is it's laid out that way because it's showing you the outplaying of Acts 1-8. So the one in Acts 2 was the Pentecost for the Jewish and uh, Judean believers. That's who was primarily there. Then you see another one in Acts 8, that was for the Samaritans. Then you see another one in Acts 10, that was for the Gentiles. Then you see the last one in Acts 19, that's for everybody. And, and so you see this like outworking of the spirit through people groups. And every time it hits a new people group, signs and wonders come. And so you kind of see this four Pentecostal events that happen. And what's amazing is when that happens, in chapter 10, that's Cornelius and his family. Then they keep moving. And then in Acts chapter 11, Paul is in Corinth, which if you just look at a map, that's the ends of the earth from where Jerusalem was, right? I mean, that's way out there to the west. Paul has this encounter with people and he's ministering there in Ephesus. And in Acts 11 verse 26, it says this phrase. That is where the believers were first called Christians. And that verse has always struck me. And here's what struck me. The believers didn't go into Corinth calling themselves Christians. They went into Corinth with the love of Christ and then the Corinthians called them Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. Other people called them Christians. Why? Because they reminded them of what they heard about this Christ. They weren't mouth murderers. They were many messiahs walking around. Not messiah in the, in the term that we actually have a role to play in our salvation. No, but they were representations of Christ. Why do you think the, body, the Bible calls us the body of Christ? And so here's my thought. What if today you could never claim the title Christian? Only someone else could give it to you. What if we made that the process of church membership? I kind of like it. Just being straight with you. People are like, oh, I'm a Christian. Are you though? Oh yeah, I was the leader in my last church. Well, if that was so great, why'd you leave? Or did you get kicked out of there? Because no one thought you were actually a Christian? I'm not saying that's the only reason you ever leave churches. I'm just saying this is what we think about. What if none of us from this point forward ever 
took the title ourself. We just focused on actually having the qualities of one. And then other people determined whether or not we were. See, that's what James is arguing. And it's a really weird text, and I get it, and I believe the Catholic Church got it wrong when they talk about the role of faith in works, because God knows whether I have faith or not. But the question that James is asking is not whether God knows that I have faith, but whether the world knows I have faith. And he's saying, how can they know that you have faith if you have no works? So it's not that works are a part of salvation. Works are an evidence of it. So let me ask you this question. I have it here on the screen. Do people experience us as someone who has experienced Jesus? Do people experience us as someone who has experienced Jesus? See, we like to talk a lot about self-awareness these days and leadership books and stuff, and I think it's great. One of my goals in life is to be self-aware. But what I've realized is self-awareness is not something I can give myself. I can't make myself self-aware. Why? Because I don't know if you know this, but I'm biased about myself. But so are you. So if I want self-awareness, I have to ask somebody else. And this is primarily what marriage is for, by the way. If you want a fun time this afternoon, go home and ask your spouse this question. Hey, babe. How do you experience me? Right? We have a whole list of counselors for when this blows up, so don't worry about it. Because see, you might be thinking that your spouse experiences you as the most loving. I mean... You're like the Fabio version of Jesus. Have you noticed that everybody makes Jesus out to be handsome even though the Bible says that he wasn't? The Bible says he was nothing to look at, y'all. We're like, oh no, I like my savior, tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> you might be thinking that that's how your spouse experiences you. And so if you ask the question, hey, do you experience me as a joyful person, as a loving person, as a patient person, as a peaceful person, as a kind person, as a faithful person, as a self-controlled person? Because see, when you ask that question, now you have the best thing you could ever have which is reality. Reality is your friend. Quit living in this make-believe world that everybody experiences you as something great, and they may not. But here's the key. People will only experience me as someone who has experienced Jesus when I actually experience Jesus. And this is why I'm stressing so much. Jesus is saying, listen, you're going to be hated. They're going to strongly dislike you because they don't know my father. But you know my father and you know me. And when they hate you, 
I want you to love them. I want you to serve them. I want them to experience you as someone who has experienced me. Because that's what's going to change them. Jesus goes on, look at this, John 15, verse 22 through 25. We'll get into this more next week. He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Do you see what Jesus just said? He said, listen, they hated me. One, because I spoke the truth to them. But two, I served them. I performed miracles in their midst. And so now they have no excuse. Here's what's interesting. When we take the tactics of the world and we hate back, all we do is justify their hate. One of my favorite Martin Luther quotes, Martin Luther King, when he said, hate can't drive out hate, only love can do that. So when I hate back, all I do is justify their hatred because they say, see, they should be hated. But Jesus says, no, they hated me first before they hated you. But I had to come and do this to show that their hatred was unjustified. Look at verse 25. He says, but the word that was written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. The most ironic thing about Jesus is Jesus was a Jewish man who wrote the Jewish law, right, as God. And in the Jewish law, it said they would hate him without a cause. And so the irony of ironies is their own text proves the point that Jesus was the Messiah because they hated him without a cause. And why did they hate him? Because he wasn't worldly enough. He wasn't a world king. See, the crazy part is when the nation of Israel, before they were a nation, the people came out of Egypt, God said, I'll be your king. They said, no, 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 no. We don't want you. We want a king like every other country. He says, fine, that's what you want. I'll give you one. It ain't gonna go well. And it didn't. But then the king of kings comes. And he doesn't come ruling with an iron fist. He comes serving with nail-pierced hands. And what's crazy is Jesus' love for them as he hung on the cross. I mean, he's on the cross, nailed, pierced, dying. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And what's amazing, one of the Roman soldiers standing by says, surely that's the king. Because nobody acts like that. Nobody does that. 
Nobody serves like that. Nobody loves like that. Nobody lays down their life like that. And back in verse 20, Jesus said, remember what I told you, which is what he said in John 13, when over the summer, our other pastors preached about it, when he washed their feet, he said, the servant's not greater than its master. I've given you an example, now do it. And the example is this, church. They will hate you, but you love them. They will curse you, but you bless them. They will despise you, but you serve them. Because it's only that kind of love that can change their cold, dead heart. So church, listen, we're gonna be hated, but we're not gonna be hateful. We're not gonna be hateful. We win through serving because that's how Jesus won. Let's pray. Father, thank you, not only for your word, but for Jesus. No one was like Jesus. The reason why this nation I believe was so blessed for so long because at the core of it was this self-sacrificial love. But yes, you look throughout our history, God, and there was so many times where we didn't exhibit that, where we separated people by race, we separated people by class, and we treated them less than. But word people don't do that. Jesus' people see the inherent value, dignity, and worth in all people. And we love and serve all people because that's what you did. But God, I know there are people here today that have never trusted in Jesus and maybe it's because they never heard of a savior like this. They never heard of someone who had loved like this. And so, God, I pray today that you would save them. You would overcome their resistance to you, make their dead hearts alive. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted in Jesus, there's never been a point in time in your life where you had a but God moment. And maybe you thought you were Christian just simply because you took on the title but there's never been a life change. There's never been an evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And so if today you want to own that and switch sides and allow the Spirit to separate you from the world, then you can trust Christ and be saved. And right there where you are, if you want to trust Christ, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. But it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sin. He came, he died, and he rose again. And I believe he's God. So would you save me, forgive me, 
and trusting in him alone. Now, if you're here in one of our locations and you just prayed that with me, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. If you're in person or online in a moment, you can fill out our digital connection card. Let us know who you are so we can follow up with you. But then those of us who've trusted Christ, I want you to understand something. If you're going to claim to be in Christ, then the call of God is to actually act like Christ. That is God's goal, to transform us into the image of Christ. And so that does not include us acting like the world. So if there's hatred in your heart for somebody, you need to understand that is sinful and wrong. And you are never called or allowed by God to adapt, adopt the world's tactics because you're not a world person, you're a word person. So maybe you need to ask God to help you to become a more loving, Christ, spirit-filled person because you haven't exhibited those qualities and you want people to experience you as someone who has experienced Jesus. So the good news is you can experience Jesus again. He can fill you with his spirit again and then others can experience you as someone who has experienced Jesus. Father, would you grant this? We wanna be Jesus people, word people who love and live like he did. So help us in Jesus' name, amen.